Welcome to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. On the podcast, we're going to get into how God answers prayers and what it means to live out our faith in the world. Many times, the easy way is the wrong way. And on any questions, I got an interesting question on the do's and don'ts of evangelism and how a personal testimony might not always be the best way to go. You'd be surprised. So let's get to it and give them the bold speak. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to the Bold Speak podcast. Uh, So glad you can join me as we continue to go through this condition of the heart study and take a look at the Sermon on the Mount from the Gospel of Matthew. I'm really excited because today we're going to get into some things that I think are many times overlooked in the Sermon on the Mount because it's just these small little sections and little bits of verses that I think are many times kind of glossed over, and we're going to dig deep into those. Um, Today is one of those days, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, that you know there are some times where we just hit a few verses, but really dig in deep and see what these verses have to say to us and how they can speak to us about what it means to live the Christian life and live in the gospel, and today is one of those days. we're only going to be dealing with seven verses, right? We're going to be looking at seven through 14, and we're going to be discussing a little bit of what it means to live this Christian life and talk a little bit about uh, God answering prayers and, and discuss the golden rule a little bit. So there's a lot uh, packed in this short little section that I'm excited to get to, and I'm excited you're joining me to do that. All right, if you happen to have the study guide with you, go ahead and open that up. We're in lesson seven. This is the second part of uh, lesson seven, and that's going to begin on page 29 under the header of the relationship between God and you, and that's what we're going to be looking at. If you don't know what I'm talking about or don't uh, yet have a copy of that study guide, I would encourage you to go pick that up. That's on our website at www.theboldspeak.com. Uh, you can head over there and go to the store, and you can pick this up, and this will give you a chance to follow along and take down notes and kind of track along easily with us is there's a lot going on uh, in these three chapters in Matthew that it's sometimes helpful to go back and reference things. So uh, this is a great tool and opportunity for you to do that uh, with the study guide. All right, uh, so we're going to go ahead and move forward here and get into these verses. We're going to be reading again verses 7 to 14 of Matthew chapter 7. So if you have your Bible with you, you can go ahead and open that up. Uh, As always, I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you don't have an ESV, that's totally fine. Just grab the version of the Bible that works the best for you and go ahead and open that up to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't happen to have a Bible with you, maybe you're on a drive or just don't have access to one right now, not to worry. I'm going to go ahead and read all of this to you uh, so you can follow along easily. All right, so let's go ahead and jump right in. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 to 14. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children... How much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. 
For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Question 7 asks, what is Jesus inviting us to do in Matthew 7, verses 7 to 8? Let me refresh your memory. Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Here Jesus is inviting us to engage in a conversation with God. The nature of prayer, as we spoke about it earlier when we were discussing the, the Lord's Prayer, is about alignment. God desires us to engage in a relationship with him so that we become aligned to his will and learn and understand what it means to live in the world that he created and to live according to the gospel. In that way, what God is inviting us to do is ask, seek things out, right? Approach him, knock, and it will be open to us, right? What Jesus is saying here is he's inviting us to make requests of God for the sake of living in accordance with his will. And he's saying that if you ask, it will be given to you. If you seek, you will find it. If you knock, it will be open to you. Right? Saying that God always responds in the positive to us. He always listens. He always provides as needed in order for us to accomplish what he desires of us as we live out our life in the world. But that raises some very interesting questions about God's response. What happens when we pray, when we ask God for things, when we make these requests? And many times we make requests that it appears to us aren't honored. And so now we're confused. God, I thought you said that if I asked you, you would give it to me. I thought you said if I made the request that you would honor that request. Well, here I am knocking and I don't see that anything is opened to me. Here I am seeking and I'm not finding. So what's going on? And that's a really important question as we enter into this conversation about prayers and how God answers prayer. I like to tell the story of, of my children and, and the ways that they engage me on several things. And, and if any of you out there have kids, uh, you'll know that, that kids often make requests. Right? They ask for things. We'll be going through a store. Uh, they'll see something, a toy, a book. It doesn't matter what it is. And they'll ask, hey, Dad, can we get this? Dad, can we have this? And what happens in that moment is I stop and I look at the thing that they're requesting and I have to make some decisions. But as all parents know, there's a lot of things that you have to weigh in. It's not just about the thing. You have to consider what they're going to do with it. Is it worth having? Is it worth having at this particular moment? And so there's a lot of factors and things that have to be considered. Sometimes I will say yes, absolutely, sure, go ahead and get that. If it's something I think will be a bit beneficial to them, if we have the opportunity, availability, if I have the funds at the moment to do that, sure. There's other times I say no. And my reasons for no vary. It's different. Each time, it's different. I have to consider the context, the, all the different factors that weigh in. And in particular, I have to consider the child. In other words, is this best for them right now? And that is an interesting question to consider when we think about how God responds, right? Now, this is going to move us to question eight, and then you're going to see that question seven and question eight kind of go together here in formulating one unified picture about how God responds to things. So let's look at question eight. How does Jesus' example in Matthew chapter seven, verses nine to 11, help us understand how this fits 
into the condition of the heart theme. Now listen to what Jesus says here in verses 9 to 11. He says, Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? All right. Now, a couple of things to note here. Uh, we're actually going to start at the back and, and, and work our way uh, forward so that we can see what Jesus is getting at. Notice in verse 11, he says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? In other words, what Jesus is pointing out is that it's God's desire to give you good things, things that will be beneficial for you, things that will help you. Now let's work our way back. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Bread is a good thing. Bread is, is talking about nourishment to the body, right? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. A fish is a good thing. It nourishes the body. In other words, when your child asks for something good, you wouldn't give them something bad in return that would harm them. You would give them the good thing that they need to continue to operate and live as you desire. But stop and think about this. Sometimes my children ask me for things, and I say no, because I know if I gave it to them, it would not turn out well for them. It would be a bad thing for them. So let's flip these around. What if Jesus said something like, well, which one of you, if a son asks him for a stone, would give it to him? Or which one of you, if your child asked for a, a serpent, would give it to them? I think sometimes when we're thinking about prayer and the requests that we make in prayer, we fail to acknowledge that God knows far more than we do, right? God understands far more than we do. He can see all the things. He can see the contexts around our requests. He evaluates our requests very much like we evaluate the requests of children. And as he looks at it, he says, all right, if I would give this to you, this thing you're making a request of, if I would give this to you, what would be the outcome? Maybe in your mind, it seems like it would be of benefit. But God knows better. Right? My children never ask me for something they don't think would be a benefit to them. But I can see the bigger picture and know that it may seem like a benefit to them now. But in the long run, it would be harmful. And so here's the question. Stop and think about how many times you ask for a stone. Right, a stone would be something that really isn't of use to us. We might think it's of use to us, but honestly, it really isn't. It doesn't help us to grow anywhere. It doesn't help us to, 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 to move forward. It simply just sits there as something we hold precious and dear, but it really is of little to no value to us. How many times do we ask for things that we think are valuable, but honestly aren't? And so sometimes I think we ask unknowingly for stones. And God says, no, I'm not going to give you a stone. What I will give you, however, is something that will be beneficial for you. 
And this is where I think, uh, you know, Paul speaks about the Spirit interceding for us in prayer. And this is where I think the Spirit sort of takes over and says, I, I hear what you're asking, right? I, I hear what you want. What you really need, however, is not this thing, but something else. Because this something else that I want to give you is actually going to be beneficial for you. It's actually going to uh, result in a positive outcome. And so I'm going to provide you with this thing. It might not be the thing that you initially asked for, so it might look very different. But I can see and I can hear really what's at the heart of your prayer. So let's say, for instance, you pray for, I want a, God, I want a million dollars. I'm making a request for a million dollars. What God hears is, Father, I want the financial security and the trust to know that you are there and that I'm taken care of. And so God will provide you with the ability to trust and know that you're taken care of rather than the money that stands as a stone. It's a false idol. It's something you think would be beneficial, that you think has value, but it actually doesn't. And so when we consider a request, think about the stones that we ask for, right? Those things that don't have value, but we think they do. And so God says, no, because I'm not going to give you something that has no value. I'm going to give you something that is beneficial and valuable in the long run. And I know that. All right, now uh, think about the serpents that we sometimes ask for. Those things that would harm us, that we think would be good, that we think would be of benefit to us, but it actually would harm us. Which one of you, if your child, all right, asked for a loaded gun, would give it to them? Right? You know there's a whole potential of danger and a likelihood of harm that would come as a result of giving a child a loaded gun. So which one of you, if your child asked for that, would actually give it to him? Right? I, I would hope none of you. All right? So here's, here's the reality of this. When we ask for something that could harm us, God's going to say no. And he should say no because God sees the bigger picture. Right? He sees it all in its context. And so when he answers and says no, he answers again to our benefit. Why do you want this thing? What's really at the heart of this request? And God will honor the request as he sees fit to your benefit. The key thing to think in mind and to keep in your mind and, and to consider as you move forward discussing prayer and thinking about how God answers prayers is to note in verse 11 that God is always after and seeking after to give you the good things that you ask of him. He's seeking to answer your prayer in regard to the benefit. And so if you're seeking something, you will find it. Just maybe not the way you thought you would. When you're knocking at the door for opportunity, it will be opened to you, but maybe not the way that you thought it would. And what you ask for will be provided, just maybe not the way you thought it would. Now, I know this becomes very difficult and, and rather complex when we're dealing with people making requests about family members who are sick and ill and, and those sorts of things. And, and I don't proclaim to know the answers to any of those things. Right? I can't speak for God. Um, I don't dare want to try to speak for God in situations like that. But if we keep in mind those two things that we've discussed about prayer in regard to the Sermon on the Mount, first and foremost, that prayer is about alignment, right? God, align me with your will. And then second, to remember that God is seeking to give me the good things that I request for my benefit. 
right? When you keep those things in mind, it helps to frame our conversation and our understanding and our relationship with God, because what we see then is it is all about the condition of the heart. When we're working toward alignment and God is giving us the good gifts, he's giving us those gifts so that we might be in right relationship with him and with others, right? I always tend to think about the, the narrative of Abraham when we talk about these things. As Abraham is going up to, to make the sacrifice of his son Isaac, you have to imagine there was a whole lot of confusion going on there, right? Why is God making me do this? Why would he move me to a point when I would sacrifice my son? And the fascinating thing about it is when you look at the narrative, what you recall and what you remember is that Abraham and Sarah wanted a child desperately, right? They thought of nothing else. They sought nothing else than to have a child. And for years, God said no. And the reason he said no is because he was building to this moment with Isaac. There was a purpose and an intention behind it. Right? Abraham and Sarah even tried to right, go to this plan B that they would come up with on their own. And so you have this uh, relationship with Hagar and then the birth of Ishmael and, and all of these things. Right? They, they tried to go their own way. They tried to do it their own way. It, it didn't work out the way they thought. And so they finally have this son, this son born of Sarah, the one that was promised. And then God says, I want you to take him up on a mountain and I want you to, want you to sacrifice him for me. Why? Why would God even make that request? And you have to imagine, again, Abraham's mind is, is swirling. And what the text brings out, which I think is fascinating, is this. Abraham and Sarah had thought of nothing more than having a child. That is all they wanted. And when they finally got that child, it probably would have been very easy for them to think to themselves, we at last have everything we've wanted. And then to focus on that child, so much so, that that child became the idol. In other words, this is everything I've wanted. This is everything I've believed I have needed. I finally have it. So I'm going to put all my focus, attention, and, and kind of steer all my relationships toward this one thing. And in the meantime, who gets left out? God. Once he gave them the gift they so desperately desired, the question was, now are you going to focus on the gift? Or are you going to remember the giver? And I think with prayer, that's something we have to consider. What is the purpose and the point? It is always, just like everything, always to build up our relationship with God, to strengthen our relationship with God, to connect us to God, and to move and to work on the conditions of our heart. And so that's, I think, a very, very important thing for us to remember when we consider prayer and think to ourselves, why does God answer the way he answers? Ultimately, we don't know, but at least what we're provided with in the Sermon on the Mount is that God is after two things, alignment and to give us the good gifts as he desires and understands. All right. So I hope that's in some way beneficial for you as you kind of frame and, and think about uh, the, the things associated with prayer. All right, so we're going to move on as Jesus moves on here and get into question nine discussing the golden rule. Question nine asks, how does the golden rule summarize God's commands? Now, notice in verse 12, he says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Right, now, the law and the prophets is a way that Jesus speaks about what was understood at that time as the Old Testament. 
Essentially what Jesus is saying is, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. This is what the Old Testament speaks of all over the place. In other words, it's a long established rule, and this is how it works. Treat other people the way that you desire to be treated. And if you listened to the podcast last week, I discussed this a little bit um, in The Wire as we were uh, talking about the the ways that we treat each other and, and clarifying that the golden rule is saying to treat other people the way that you want to be treated, not the way that you've been treated. So if someone treats you poorly, it's not uh, your right uh, to to treat them poorly because, well, you do to them what they did to you. That's not what this is saying, right? This is saying that you should do to others as you desire them to do to you. That is to say that Jesus is asking you to consider for a moment how you want to be treated. Do you want to be taken care of? Do you want to be loved? Do you want to be supported? When you make mistakes, do you want to be treated with mercy and grace with gentleness and kindness, with love? Do you want to receive forgiveness in association with repentance? Right? All of these things you need to be considering and then treat other people in the way that you would want to be treated if you were in the same situation. And that's what Jesus is asking us to do. Think about sin from the perspective of the sinner. So if someone sins against you, stop and think about it from their perspective. How would you like to be treated if you were in their shoes? That ability to empathize, to think about it from their perspective, is quite powerful and also is a great way to guide your reaction and action toward that person or that thing. And so that's the the basic summary of the golden rule. God's commands are all summed up in a recognition that these commands are given as a means by which to to help us all remember and understand how it is that we're called to treat each other and how we ourselves desire to be treated. All right, let's move on to question 10. What is Jesus presenting to the disciples and us as his church with the analogy of the gates? Now, you'll see there in your study guide that I've broken that down for you into two gates, right? The wide gate and the narrow gate. Let's consider what each gate is as Jesus is explaining it. In verse 13, as he's speaking about the gates, he says, enter by the narrow gate. So you can tell, obviously, right up front, Jesus is favoring the narrow gate. But he explains the wide gate a little bit. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. The wide gate is the easy gate. It's the gate that you are trying to get through by your own means and methods or the ways that are most convenient to you. This is the gate that people attempt to enter by their own means and methods. I want to do things my way. I don't want to really have a relationship with God. I don't want to feel a responsibility to God. I don't want to do things his way. I want to do it my way because that's easier. I don't have to invest myself in a relationship with him. I don't really have to invest myself in a relationship with anyone. I just want to do it my way. And that's easy. But Jesus explains to us that it's an easy way that leads to destruction. The easy way isn't always the right way. We have to make sure that we're understanding what we mean when we think about the easy way. What's easy for us and why is it easy for us? I think many times things aren't easy because it doesn't take a lot of effort or consideration on our part. We just get to do whatever we want to do. And so Jesus is saying this easy way 
that gate is wide because, well, it's just convenient. Most people are going to want to default to the easy way, the convenient way. But Jesus explains to us that what we should be pursuing is the narrow gate. Now, the narrow gate is hard that leads to life. It's difficult. Why? Because it necessitates a relationship and a responsibility, a sense of responsibility to God. It's about having that deep relationship with him, understanding that we are only here as representatives of him, created to be in relationship with him. This reminds me of an analogy that I've used often, and in some circles has become quite infamous, about a toaster. Let me explain. Let's say that I brought a toaster home, not knowing that it was a toaster. It was just a machine, a contraption that I brought and set down on a table, and there's a couple of things that I notice about it. On the top, there are two slots, so it appears that I insert something into those slots. I can also see that it has a lever that takes whatever I put in the slots and enters them into the machine. It also is electrical. It has a power cord. Now, there are a lot of things that actually fit that category, not the least of which is a DVD player. DVD players have a slot, they're electrical, I put the DVD in, and then I can watch my movie as I desire. So let's say that I take a DVD and I put it in my toaster, plug in the toaster, and push down the lever. As you can imagine, things probably would not go well. The DVD would melt, maybe spark, the toaster would be ruined, the DVD would be ruined, and I would have quite a mess on my hands. Now, considering that toaster... Let's think about what the easy way was. The easy way was to simply look at the toaster and go, well, there's a couple of things that I can observe, so I guess I can summarize what this might be able to be used for, and so I'm just going to do with it what I think is best. And when I do, I ruin it. What's the hard way? The hard way is to stop and say, well, I, I, I can see some of these things, but maybe that's not the way it works. I honestly, I don't know. And to find out, I should probably do a couple of things. I should maybe research. I should look into it closer. I should probably consult the manual that tells me what this is and what its purpose is and how it operates on the basis of the design and intention of the ones who made it. The same works with God. How many times do we look around us and we see the world and observe things or experience things and we just want to kind of go our own way on the basis of what we can observe? I know these things feel good. I know that I desire and like to do these things. And so we just approach things as the way that we want to do them because it's easy, it's convenient, and it brings about what I perceive to be the most pleasure. But inevitably, it breaks a lot. It breaks relationships. It breaks opportunities, and most importantly, it breaks many times our relationship with God. But if I stopped and did it the hard way, if I looked at the world around me and those experiences and worked hard to frame them in an understanding of how God has made things to operate and in my relationship to God himself, then I have a better understanding of how things work. And so now I can live as a representative of God and according to his will and do things in a way that is right but not easy. It's difficult. It is difficult to stay in relationship with God. It's difficult to, to make reading the Bible a priority. It's difficult sometimes to make going to worship a priority. I get it. I understand it. I felt that myself. And you strive and you work hard. 
to try to make sure that, that the relationship that you have with God is on solid ground. You work hard to understand how it is that you should live out this gospel and Christian life. And so that was that's what God is asking us to do. Pursue it by the narrow gate. It is hard. It is difficult. Absolutely it is. And no one is going to tell you any different. But it's good. And it leads to life. And so we struggle and we strive and pursue that relationship with God. All right, so that's the, the wide gate and the narrow gate. Now, as we're closing out this uh, particular section and lesson of Lesson 7, you'll see down there, if you have the study guide, the four-year consideration question. And this is really just asking you to, to, to put in your own words some of the ideas, especially about judgment and some of the other things that we've discussed. Um, put into your own words kind of how you feel about that and how you think we're doing on that. Um, it's just a good opportunity for reflection uh, that I think can be very beneficial as we consider how it is we go about living this Christian life. All right, so uh, again, I really hope this has been beneficial and in, in, in helping us to frame some of these more difficult areas of Christian living, and especially with the ideas of prayer and how God answers prayer. All right, now when it comes to things that are difficult and sometimes challenging, I know one of the things that, that many Christians struggle with is the idea uh, of, of evangelism. And how is it that you go about that? So when you're speaking to people, what are some of the things that, that can be beneficial and helpful as you speak about your faith in Jesus Christ? And what are some things that aren't so helpful? I recently had an experience where I, I engaged uh, with a, in a conversation with a woman and had some other people around, and she was doing some, I think, best-intentioned evangelism, but also did some things very poorly, and it actually did not turn out so well for that conversation. Following the conversation, some of my friends asked me, why did she say that? Why did she do that? And I thought that's an excellent question to engage on this edition of any questions. Okay, class. Any questions? Evangelism is difficult. Anyone who tells you otherwise is lying to you. It's difficult because you're dealing with things outside the boundaries of common knowledge. It's one thing to speak to someone on the benefits of a product or why one particular restaurant is better than another because you're dealing with things that people are familiar with. But to talk to somebody about the beauty of a relationship with a God who you can't see and whose presence in our lives is largely invisible to those who don't know of his existence or don't believe in his existence is an entirely different thing. I have spent a large part of my ministry career teaching apologetics, that is, the defense of and communication of the faith, as well as techniques for evangelism. And each time I teach on those subjects, one particular aspect always seems to rise to the top. Attitude. What attitude do you approach apologetics and evangelism with? Because the right attitude with the wrong words can be overcome, but the right words with the wrong attitude? can be disastrous. In one recent situation, it led to a friend of mine asking the question, what did she hope to accomplish with that? Uh, what was the point? Let me explain. I recently spoke with a woman who approached myself and a few of my friends with what she said was a message from Jesus. Now, I want to state right up front that I applaud her for being bold enough to even approach the conversation. Right, let's be honest, that's far more than many of us do with any regularity. 
But as she began to speak, she fell into some very typical evangelism traps that I think if she would have avoided, would have led to a much better result. Unfortunately, she rushed off before I had a chance to speak with her more, but I truly wish I could have pulled her aside and given her some advice. So let's take a look at some of the areas she could work on and how some simple changes can make a huge difference. First, she cared more about what she knew than what they needed to know. She spent almost the entire conversation using Christian jargon and the little bits of Hebrew she probably was taught in an evangelism seminar. She rattled off snippets of scripture like they were incantations intended to somehow magically form faith in the hearts of the hearer. And with it all, she carried this unrelenting attitude of arrogance because she had found God after a difficult time in her life, and that meant that she was better than those who hadn't yet come to those same conclusions. My advice to her? Listen more than you speak. As the old adage goes, no one cares about how much you know until they know how much you care. The most effective method of care for anyone is to listen. When you speak, ask questions that will help you figure out where they are struggling the most with the idea of God, and then address those specific areas. Standing there with a water hose of scripture and ancient languages will likely just annoy them and cause them to write you off altogether. Listen and stay patient, and when you speak, speak to what they need to know, not what you think they need to know. Second, be careful with your testimony. In this particular interaction, this woman explained that she had lung cancer and then stood on the Bible and got healed. The way she explained it was as if to say, well, God worked a miracle in my life, Therefore, there's no disputing that he is real, and you now should believe. Insert mic drop. My advice? You have to be real careful with that stuff. Otherwise, what did happen can happen. See, I knew that she was trying to express the, the realities of God's work in her life, but she fell into a trap that one of my friends picked up on rather quickly and responded exactly as I thought that he would. His response? Well, my grandmother died of lung cancer. Was that because of God? The miracles and acts of God in your life are powerful for you don't always work in an evangelism setting because God works differently in everyone's life. While a testimony of faith may be an explanation of your story, don't ever use them as a proof in someone else's story. Rather, get to know their story and then speak to that. Believe me, it will get you much farther in the conversation. Finally, please, 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 don't ever assume that someone's lack of faith is because they just don't know enough. A lack of faith is not the result of a lack of knowledge in most scenarios. When one of my friends expressed that he was an agnostic, she was real quick to explain that the reason for that is because he just doesn't know enough yet. If he would just read the Bible and pray to God, he would learn. My advice is simple. Stop. Please stop saying stupid things like that. For so many people out there, it isn't about a lack of knowledge, but a disagreement with an experience or even just a refusal to accept certain realities. 
Rarely do you encounter someone who has never considered God or the origins of the universe. So to assume that their lack of faith is a result of ignorance just shows how ignorant you are to what's really going on in people's lives. Uh, how do you overcome that ignorance? Ask them what's going on in their lives. Get to know them and, and listen to them. You might be surprised to hear just how much people have considered the idea of God and what their opinions are on that idea. Then continue the conversation with a more targeted and far less insulting approach. Again, I applaud her for even having the courage to get up and speak to people about Jesus, something I think we could definitely learn a great deal from her about. But when you do get up and speak to people about Jesus, please be careful to engage with a caring, loving, and gospel-centered attitude, rather than a superior, overbearing, and even degrading one. Trust me, love and genuine respect will always go a lot further. Always. That's going to do it for this episode of the Bold Speak Podcast. Thanks again for joining me. As always, make sure you stay connected to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash The Bold Speak. Connect on our website at www.theboldspeak.com. And make sure you subscribe to this channel and all our other media channels to make sure you get the latest news, information, and updates as we release them. Until next time, everyone, I am Anthony Creedon, and that is The Bold Speak. Oh, 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 oh